So part of the argument is that target date funds may be too conservative for younger investors, especially like what's the point of having bonds with yields as low as they are today? Hi, I'm John Sullivan with 401k Specialist, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. Creative Planning's Peter Malouk, one of the largest RIAs in the country, caused a minor controversy last week with his criticism of target date funds, calling them a terrible choice for most people. An intense yet respectful debate then erupted on Twitter, which is almost unheard of for the platform, with Morningstar's Christine Benz, among others, weighing in. Benz joined us to discuss the SPAT and much more, including the possible changes to backdoor Roths, HSAs, and what's new in retirement income research. We'll begin right after these messages. Is retirement planning an art? Well, I think so. I help my clients reach their retirement goals. Whether those goals are far away or right around the corner, I help them get there. That's an art. And with T. Rowe Price's full suite of target date solutions, you can call me a Rembrandt of retirement. Retirement meet your match. Visit trowprice.com slash target date. Principal value of target date strategies is not guaranteed at any time, including at or after the planned retirement date assumed to be age 65. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc. Christine, Peter Malouk with Creative Planning, one of the largest RIAs in the country, recently caused a minor dust-up with his critique of target date funds. It's almost heresy in the retirement plan space, but can you give us an overview of the controversy and your response? Right. And I'll just preface this by saying, I think the world of Peter and his firm and, and his contributions. But on this point, I do disagree. His uh, point was about how for his clients for and what he thinks is the case for most individual investors, they're better off with a customized asset allocation plan, even if it's just simple target date funds, or even if it's sort of a static all-in-one fund, uh, like a balanced fund or something like that. He thinks that for most investors, they're better off with one of those solutions versus a target date fund. So part of the argument is that target date funds may be too conservative for younger investors, especially like what's the point of having bonds with yields as low as they are today. So he laid out a very eloquent defense of his views because he did receive a lot of pushback. Um, And then on the other side of the fence would be people like me who think that target date funds have been a home run from the standpoint of improving investor outcomes, uh, where we see when we look at Morningstar data on on, on target date funds, we see that investors who buy them tend to just continue to make their contributions, don't trade themselves in in and out. They tend to stay the course. And as a result, they capture a big share of the fund's returns. By contrast, when we look at other investment categories, uh, things like emerging markets or maybe some of the specialty technology funds, for example, we see investors are doing a lot more trading there. They're zooming in and out, and they're often doing themselves a disservice. So, my view, and I guess I don't speak for all of Morningstar, but my view is that the fewer moving parts in an investment program, 
that will tend to lend itself to investors staying on board. And I think that's in part because investors don't see those extreme fluctuations that sometimes come along with more narrowly defined investment components. So I'm on team target date fund. Um, I was happy to see a lot of other financial advisors defending target date funds. So even though they don't use them in their own client portfolios, I wouldn't expect them to, they still recognize that for novice investors, it's a really great solution, especially for novice investors who don't have access to good quality financial advice. And I've heard you and Laura Lutton and others, John Reckenthaler, praise TDFs from a behavioral standpoint, um, the product specifically about, as you mentioned, keeping people invested in market shocks. But do we have enough of a track record at this point to gauge their impact on participant outcomes? I mean, how well do they actually perform? Do we know at this point? Well, it really depends on the target date series. But one thing I would point out is that when we look at fund flows, they are going to the better target date series. So we're seeing the BlackRock Life Path series getting a lot of uh, new inflows. Um, They've been taking a little bit of ground from Vanguard recently, but Vanguard is a big player in this space and certainly has a very fine low cost series as you would expect. So the flows are going to the better players. I think you hit on an important point though, is that it's really difficult to disentangle with target date funds looking so good from a behavioral standpoint, what are we seeing there? Are we seeing that there's some magic to target date funds or are we seeing that perhaps 401k participants just in general tend to be pretty inert uh, no matter what their investment mix is? They turn on their contributions and then they tend not to make a lot of changes. So we can't necessarily ascribe all of that success to the target date fund vehicle. It may simply be to that automatic contribution feature that's there for all 401k investors. But I think it's, generally speaking, a pretty positive development for part target date funds that we've seen investor outcomes improve. And the other thing is when you talk to firms, whether Fidelity or Vanguard, they will tell you they've examined participant behavior where participants are selecting their own investments and compared it to how those participants would have done had they simply opted for the target date fund. The target date fund investors do better than the investors who are custom crafting these bespoke asset allocations for themselves. That's a, a great explanation. Thank you for taking up the flag for target date funds. Appreciate that. So you recently wrote that there's more to investing than just risk and return. I mean, Milton Friedman is rolling over in his grave, but what do you mean by that? Well, my point was the longer I've been doing this, the longer I find that my investment choices are influenced by what I would call some softer factors. So a big one is simply just how much bother I care to devote to my portfolio. I was influenced by Charlie Munger's Too Hard Pile, where he has indicated that he and Warren Buffett have a category of companies that they don't research simply because they've decided that it's not not worth their effort. And I would say that I have a growing too hard pile too. And I think investors should sort of, as they evolve, think about the choices that they're making and think about things like, is this a good use of my time? Do I have enough? And maybe I don't need to gun for extra return in my portfolio. Is this more complicated than I care to get involved with? So for me, individual stock investing, even though I sit within 
a company where we, I think we have a great individual stock research team. I've just decided that uh, from, for my own plan and for my husband's plan, we just don't have time to spend researching individual stocks. Plus, as our portfolio has grown and as it has consisted primarily of mutual funds, those individual stock holdings are kind of a drop in the bucket relative to the rest of our assets. So we've decided that it's just not a great return on investment. So the piece was really a call to investors to do a little bit of reflection about some of these softer issues. Okay. So it's not about whether or not to include ESG or other, you know, social or societal factors. It really is about more just streamlining and keeping it simple. Exactly. And I think the the funny thing is, is that some people might say, well, the simple portfolio, that's the bastion of the novice investor. And the interesting thing for me is that the longer I go at this, the more I'm inclined to radically simplify. And I would argue that older adults, certainly older seniors, for example, managing their financial plans, well, there's a really good spot to go radically simpler because um, I my family experienced cognitive decline with my dad. I know that that's an issue. So my exhortation to individual investors, smaller individual investors who have been DIY investors like my dad is to radically simplify as you age and bring on board potentially a a financial advisor to kind of oversee things um, so that you could be hands off if, if in fact you needed to be. Radically simplify. I think that's just life advice at this point, right? So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> great. Um, there's been another recent controversy here about the possible end to backdoor Roths and certainly the mega backdoor Roth. What's your take there? Yeah, it's interesting. The House Ways and Means Committee did advance this proposal in September that it included that included a lot of stuff, uh, changes in the income and capital gains tax rate. But I think one of the most interesting dimensions, especially for sort of middle to upper uh, middle income savers, is this idea of the backdoor Roth IRA, which simply means that you fund a Roth IRA with after ta- you fund a traditional IRA with after tax contributions and then you convert those after tax contributions to Roth shortly thereafter. This maneuver, if it's engineered properly, typically results in the participant paying very little in taxes. And I think that's one reason why Congress has it in its sights that it doesn't bring in revenue and it's called the back door. So the idea there is that um, starting in 2022, if this portion of the proposal is is, uh, okayed, the idea would be that the after-tax contributions could no longer be converted. And that would also apply to, as you say, the mega backdoor Roth, which involves making contributions after tax to a 401k and those, and then converting those to Roth at some point, oftentimes inside the 401k plan itself. That's been a super popular maneuver among higher income investors because it allows them to get nearly $60,000 into a 401k in a given year with the combination of their uh, either traditional and Roth contributions, employer contributions, and these after-tax contributions. This proposal would also uh, ban those uh, 
conversions of after-tax funds. So it would be the death knell of that maneuver, um, which would leave higher-income folks with a limited set of tax-advantaged options if those uh, two things go off the table. So as a personal investing expert there, do you have any recommendations of what they should do? I mean, should they just get into the Roth and stay there now? Well, potentially. So if you have been making these after-tax contributions, I think that this is a good impetus to do the conversions in 2021. We don't know what will happen, but um, it seems like there's limited downside to go ahead and get those dollars converted. I know that sometimes investors have a little bit of a lag between the time they fund the account with after-tax contributions and actually make those conversions. So do the conversions. Certainly, if you're in a position to sort of super fund your 401k in 2021. I I would do it, especially if you have that uh, after-tax contribution feature and the in-plan conversion feature. It seems like a terrific option for people who do have that additional income in these waning days of 2021 take advantage of fully funding that 401k. Understood. Are you a fan of HSAs and will we ever quote-unquote get there with the product? Well, I am, and I have personal experience with HSAs. I've been using it in the way I tell people to use it, which is that I use my HSA as sort of an ancillary retirement savings vehicle. So I fund my HSA to the max each year and don't touch it and use non-HSA assets to pay my healthcare expenses as I incur them. It's really hard to beat the tax advantages of HSAs. You've got the pre-tax money going in, tax-free compounding as long as you have the money inside the HSA. And then my withdrawals or anyone's withdrawals will be tax-free in retirement. So you've got that triple tax advantage, which you do not see with any other vehicle, but you raise an important point. A lot of HSAs have many layers of fees. They uh, may be subpar from that standpoint, even for investors who want to make the highest, best use of them and use them for long-term savings vehicles. So you need to do your homework. Morningstar has been trying to shine a little bit of light on this space with our HSA coverage. We've been covering the largest HSA plans and we have, um, for the past couple of years, uh, named Fidelity as the top HSA for people who are using HSAs in a traditional sense where they're sort of using them to defray healthcare expenses as they incur them, or people who are using their HSAs like I'm using it, which as is is as an investment vehicle. Lively also fared pretty well from the standpoint of HSAs for people who are using the account to spend as they go. So, um, I think we'll get there, but I think we will need to see some of the players, some of the big players get into the mix. I'd love to see Vanguard in this space. I know they've looked at it, but I know um, that there has been some disincentive to be in this space, but I think that we will begin to see more transparency. I don't see HSAs going away. Uh, There's a lot to like about them from a tax standpoint, and the government really wants us to use HSAs and, and use some of the high deductible healthcare plans that come along with them. And certainly we could debate their virtues, especially for people who have tighter financial plans, but for healthier and wealthier people, the high deductible healthcare plan with an HSA is a great combination. Great. 
Uh, Morningstar is doing some pretty good research in retirement income. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I will say that we have been toiling away in this space, but the basic idea is that we are looking at withdrawal rates, which is a hot topic anytime people are talking about retirement income. And we are attempting to take a forward-looking view at withdrawal rates, as many researchers have, but specifically looking at the confluence of very low fixed income yields today, as well as high equity valuations. And like other researchers, Our takeaway is that people who want to use a fixed real withdrawal approach, so if they want to use like a 4% style guideline, our research would suggest that they take it lower, take that initial withdrawal rate lower if they want to be safe. And I know that that is harsh medicine for people who are embarking on retirement, but I do think that most retirees, new retirees, if you talk to them, they'd rather be safe than sorry. We know that life expectancies are increasing especially for wealthier people in this country. And so um, they would rather be conservative. In our research, we also took a look at some of the flexible withdrawal systems. And we did find that if you are willing to be flexible about your withdrawals, and in particular, if you're willing to take less, if a down market occurs, especially early on in your retirement, that can allow you to take more of your portfolio initially. And it can also allow you to more efficiently spend from your portfolio. So you're less likely to end up with a big bunch of money at the end that you would have rather consumed during your lifetime. So that's what we've been looking at. It's a naughty topic. It's arguably one of the trickiest topics in retirement planning, but we thought it was important to look at it through the lens of what valuations, which would would suggest about the current environment and valuations and low yields would suggest that investors should be conservative. It's almost like you're advocating for a glide path with retirement income to mitigate against sequence of return. Is that what I'm getting? Well, exactly. That's part of the idea. So we actually looked at some other levers that investors could include. So withdrawal rates are certainly a big consideration, but we also looked at, yeah, what if you adjust the portfolio itself to accommodate the possibility that a lousy market environment could occur early on in your retirement? Does that help? Uh, We looked at whether annuities uh, might make a difference, and our research would suggest that, yes, that area is worthy of further exploration. And this is something we're going to be revisiting every year. But I think annuities will be an increasingly important part of the discussion as we think about retirement decumulation. And I know a lot of retirees have annuities marked with a skull and crossbones, literally. A word. Yes. I was speaking to a group of bogleheads last night and I could see them. I couldn't literally see them, but right. It it is a terrifying concept, but I think that the very simple, low cost, transparent annuities, perhaps their day has come. And when I think about my own retirement plan, and I'm not planning to retire soon, but I'm definitely including some sort of an annuity product as part of my retirement decumulation. The idea being, if I can sort of set up my baseline of cash flow needs through social security and the annuity. I really like that idea of having a hands-off sort of paycheck simulation in retirement. So that is a whole nother topic for an entirely different uh, podcast, but now we've got a reason to ask you back once again. So Christine Benz, great as always. That's exactly what we needed. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, John. It's been my pleasure. Is retirement planning an art? Well, I think so. 
I help my clients reach their retirement goals. Whether those goals are far away or right around the corner, I help them get there. That's an art. And with T. Rowe Price's full suite of target date solutions, you can call me a Rembrandt of retirement. Retirement meet your match. Visit trowprice.com slash target date. Principal value of target date strategies is not guaranteed at any time, including at or after the planned retirement date assumed to be age 65. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc.